Lord, thank you for all that you're doing. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate these scriptures, that you would do so in a way that is effective and concise and true. Lord, with all that is going on, it can be easy to become distracted and miss this. I pray that we would not be dialed in. I pray that you would open up the eyes of our heart and have your way. We pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so this, this story is crazy, right? Like, why are we preaching through this story on family worship service day? As I read this story, I can't help but ask myself, what is happening in this story, and do these kind of things happen today? Like, chariots of fire from heaven coming down? Like, uh, some sort of, of ritual that turns poison water into blessing? Or crazy, don't, don't be careful who you call a bald head, or bears may come from the mountains and maul you. What is in this? What is happening as I've been reading this, and as, as we look at this, I, I truly believe that there's some really important truths for us today in this word. And the question that I want you to consider as we look at this is, where are you in this story? Where are you in this story? Maybe not just in the story I just read, but even in the story that we've been telling in this church. Where are you in this story? In this story, we're picking up, we're in the book of 2 Kings now. We've been working our way through the book of Kings, looking at God's faithfulness and this battle between good and evil. And we've seen lots of really bad kings, and every once in a while, a good king. And we see Elijah, we've been walking with Elijah through through his life as he leads and as 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 he cares for God's people. And in the story we learn, if you've been reading along, that that Elijah is preparing to go back to the Lord. And everybody seems to know this, and they're kind of wondering, what are we going to do when Elijah is gone? And the first thing that's really important as we look at this passage is that I want you to see is that there is a reenactment that is happening. There's a reenactment that is happening. And the reenactment is actually a commissioning. It's a commissioning where God empowers his person, Elisha. We have this reenactment. You see, earlier, just about 550 years earlier, there was another guy named Moses who was preparing to finish his time of leading the people. And he had another prophet, leader, named Joshua. And there's the same in the very same place in the Jordan River. It says that Joshua walks into the Jordan and a very similar thing happened that happened to Elijah and Elisha. It says that that, that they, they bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, the waters part, and and, and the people walk through and there's this sign that even though Moses was so great and so mighty, he is passing on the mantle to Joshua. And Joshua is actually crossing this and going into a place called Jericho. You remember the story of Jericho and walking around the walls and and, and, and that whole story? That's what happens. And it seems to be here that this is a hyperlink or or, or a reminder to the people that as the people come and go, as prophets and kings come and go, that God is continuing to be faithful and he will continue to raise up his leaders and be faithful to the remnant of those who 
choose to do what is right and say no to what is evil. And so we see this in this story. You see this powerful story of Elijah. It says that he grabs his mantle and he slaps the water and the water parts and him and Elisha walk through the water towards Jericho. And we have this moment here. It's this enactment of the people thinking, man, how do, remember Elijah, how are we going to, what's going to happen? And look at what happens in verse 9 of this chapter. It's really interesting. It says that right before God is going to take up Elijah, it says this. It says, the, chapter 2, verse 9, it says this. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Elisha's saying, I would like double what you're doing. Now this is a, a allusion to, in Deuteronomy 2.17, we learn that in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomic law, that there was these rights, these firstborn rights, this firstborn share that the firstborn son would receive, and it would be called the double portion. And Elisha is saying, Lord, what you have done to your servant, to your son Elijah, do it to me. Interestingly enough, Elisha's name means my God is salvation. Remember the reenactment, Joshua's name was Yahweh is salvation. We see this truth here. There's this reenactment, but there's this moment that I think is really profound and really powerful. Elijah is taken up, everybody sees it, Elisha sees it, and he cries out, oh my father, my father, and he sees it, and there's this moment, and he's sitting at the water in the Jordan. And he's probably wondering, did I get it? Is God going to be faithful? Am I just as much a part of this story as Elijah was? And look at what happens here in verse 14. It says, then he, Elisha, took the cloak of Elijah that was left with Elisha, that had fallen from him, and he struck the water, saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. We have this incredible reminder that God is faithful and that he is commissioning Elisha for his work to lead the people of God. Now the question in this passage then is what are the people going to do? What are we going to do with this man of God? And there's really two places that we see this man of God encounter where he is called to go and to, and to write, write out to, to, uh, to engage with and call out pagan practices and the idolatry that is happening. So straight from this, it says that he goes out and he goes to Jericho. And the first picture of this moment for Elisha as, as, he's, as he, as he is, is being empowered and commissioned is he goes to Jericho. And there's these prophets in Jericho, these people, and they have this question, what are we going to do with Elisha? What is our response going to be to Elisha? And here we see acceptance. They saw what happened, and because of their acceptance, these people in Jericho, they receive a blessing. And we see that the curse is reversed. 
It's fascinating. I wish I had more time to really dig into this. I would encourage you, if you have time, to really study this. Is there's some wonderful things that are happening here in Jericho. You see, when, Je- when Joshua defeated Jericho, it says that the Lord, that, that, that Joshua pronounced a curse on Jericho. Earlier in 1 Kings, we know that this curse related to whoever rebuilt Jericho would have a curse on Jericho. They would lose the firstborn sons. This happens. And there would be this curse. And so there seemed to be this curse in Jericho, and this water in Jericho was causing miscarriages and disease. And, and Elisha comes in, and he's, uh, he's challenging the people of Jericho. They are living in pagan practices. They are choosing to do what is evil in the sight of God. And he's challenging them. And he's saying, acknowledge God that he is king. You have a chance. And this curse can be reversed. And we see in this example, this happening. Look at what, it, look at what happens in verse 15. It says, now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho, they saw him opposite them, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They accepted his leadership. And they came to meet him, and look what they did. They bowed down to the ground before him. And they get a little confused about where Elijah is, and and they go a little bit on on, on a wild goose chase, and then they come to Jericho, And it says in verse 21 through 22, it says, Then he went over Elisha to the spring of water. He threw salt in it and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. And from now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. For the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. So we have this reenactment of Elisha being being commissioned as the next prophet of God. And there's this challenge to the people. As you ask yourself where you are in this story, there's one camp of people who have been living in some sort of sin, opposed to God, that choose to profess their faith, to to, to accept Elisha as the prophet, and they are blessed. Really interesting here. Ralph Davis, one of the commentators, he, he writes about this. He says this. I thought this was pretty good. He says, here in 2 Kings 2, Curseville has become Graceburg. In this incident, not a, not a cameo of Yahweh, is this incident not a cameo of Yahweh, that's the name of God, his own character? See how he delights to turn the most curse-ridden, sin-laden, judgment-bearing situations into episodes of his grace in living color. It seems too good to be true. And too much for sane sinners to hope for. But it is the testimony in this text. God's word through God's prophet brings God's grace. Even Jericho. So we have this one space in Jericho, this pagan place of of idol worship, and there's acceptance. But there's this other place that Elijah goes to next. Elisha goes to a place called Bethel. If you remember in your story, Bethel was a place where Jacob had his encounter with God. If you remember in 1 Kings, there was a king named Jeroboam in the, in the, in the divide of the, of the territories, and it says that he, he, he makes a temple with a golden calf in Bethel. And so in Bethel, we have this other reaction to God's prophet. And there is rejection, 
And the rejection leads to some pretty severe judgment. And the cursors are cursed. Now, I've heard it said that this part, right, especially people that have um, challenges with their hair, they love to say, be careful who you make in fun of somebody who is um, challenged with growing hair, because if you call me bald, then maybe bears will come out and attack me. I remember in Sunday school learning about this, this, this passage, letting this be a challenge to us as children to be careful with our words. I just want you to know something. That's a great message. That is not the message that's happening. There is something way more profound and deep that I'm so excited to share with you that's happening here that is incredibly important. Look at what happens here. Look, it says in verses 23 and 24, it says that Elisha went up from there to Bethel. This place that once was the very place of Jacob's ladder and has become a place of idol worship. And while he was going up, the, the language of going up in the geography is really fascinating. On the way, it says, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him. Now, the language here for small boys is debated in the commentaries. It can be used for all sorts of things. Many would say that the language for small boys also has been used to be servants, possibly servants or priests. And so some would say that these are probably young men who have not yet had their birthright, but who are possibly servants of the pagan worship. I actually, uh, in our notes, there's a whole article, a whole blog that I, po that I put in the bottom of our notes. I would encourage you to go and read that. It's so insightful. I'd love to get into the weeds of all the Hebrew and all of that. But it seems to me as we look at this that what is really happening here is there's this group of people, these prophets, of the, these false prophets, and they see Elisha coming, and what is important for you and I to know is that they reject him. They don't just reject him, they called him a bald D, a bald head. And that's not just making fun of him for his bald head. Some would say, it's, it's saying, you have no head. You have no one who you are under. They're saying, you have no authority here. As a matter of fact, the language says, it says, he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. It says, the language here of them saying, get up, is basically, you can't be here, get out of Bethel. And Elisha sees this, he curses them in the, in the name of the Lord, and two she-bears come out of the woods, and they tore these 42 priests apart. Yeah, that's the sound effect I would have, too. <laughs> Power up. Now, in this, we're like, what's up with these she-bears? What's happening? You see, God in Deuteronom Deuteronomic law actually spoke about the, the challenges and how, much he, how seriously he took it when we reject the prophets that he puts among us. We reject him, actually, in Leviticus 26, verses 21 and 22, it says, if you remain hostile toward me and refuse to listen to me, he says, I will multiply your affliction, affliction seven times over as your sins deserve. Look at this, it says, I will send wild animals against you. And they will rob you of your children, destroy your cattle, and make you so few in number that your roads will be short. And so it can be so easy with these powerful, crazy stories 
that we miss the narrative that is happening. And as I've been looking at this, it seems to me that what we really want to be thinking about as we look at this and asking ourselves, where am I in this story, is am I the kind of people that accepts the Lord? Or have I rejected him and received the judgment that I deserve? In both of these cases, we're sinners. In both of these cases, we have turned to the left or turned to the right. We are prone to wander. Yet in one of them, we become aware of the very grace of God. And we become aware that the curse is reversed. And so as we ask this question, where are you in this story? Who are you in this story? story, there's something totally remarkable that we can easily miss. And it actually has to do with the water. You see, we went back 550 years to to Joshua. But that's not the only place that the Jordan shows up. You see, if you fast forward 900 years forward, we learn that there's another prophet who comes whose name is Elijah, whose name is John the Baptist. It actually says that he comes in the spirit of Elijah. You remember this story? And it says that in the very Jordan, the same Jordan that Joshua was commissioned in, the same Jordan that Elisha was commissioned in when Elijah slapped the water and the heavens opened and, 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 and the Lord blessed Elisha, in that same Jordan, Jesus of Nazareth enters the And John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, Jesus' name, that's in Aramaic, his Hebrew name is Yeshua, Joshua. Yahweh is salvation, do you see? And as Jesus is baptized, the Son of God himself, guess what happens? It says that he's baptized, it says, look at this, it says that the heavens part, it says that the Spirit descends, that the Father says, this is my Son, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. And we see the very commissioning of our Savior. You see this totally remarkable truth. And this is what gets me so excited about reading the Old Testament, because this is way more than just some historical stories and some fun stories that we read. We can be in these stories, my friends. As we read the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. And the totally remarkable truth is found when you understand, to understand where you are, you need to know where Jesus is. To understand where you are, you need to know where Jesus is. And brothers and sisters, beloved, Jesus is in the water. Jesus is in the covenant water. And we could look at this and just say, you know what, that's just a random coincidence. Or we could look at this and say, this is totally remarkable. Or we could look at this and see that God is writing a story that we are invited into. And the question remains, will I be a people that accept or will I be a people that reject? This is the invitation. One of my favorite commentaries, a guy named... Tony Morita, in a commentary called Exalting Jesus in 1st and 2nd Kings, look at what he says. He says, another prophet will be mocked and have his hair pulled out. Thorns will be put on his head. And he, he will not be told to go up, but he will be mocked while he is on a cross. 
and he will be told to come down. This prophet, even in the midst of persecution, will show that he is a gracious prophet who would tell one of the mockers who turns and repents that he will be with this prophet king in paradise. This prophet can pronounce blessing and roll back the curse by crushing that ancient serpent. This one will share the name of Joshua and Elisha. His name will be Jesus. Do you not see the invitation of this story? Do you not see the challenge to us and our families to profess faith, to receive the great prophet, priest, and king, Jesus, into our hearts, believing that Jesus changes everything. Do you not see that this has been the story that we've been telling in our baptisms and professions of faith and in dedicating and baptizing our children, that we believe the water is a picture of our joining Christ in his baptism? That Christ's baptism was a sign of his baptism into the death when he died on a cross for our sins, took on all of our unrighteousness, all of our sin, and gives us his righteousness and his goodness and his glory. And when he rises up, when we profess our faith in him, we join in the story. We strike the water, the heavens part, and the spirit descends. And this is what we're all about as a people. And the question is, is this just going to be a really fun puzzle that we solve, or do we believe that it's absolutely breathtaking? One podcast I was listening to this last couple weeks says it could be utterly, what do you say? Oh, I misquoted it. It says it could be completely ludicrous or utterly breathtaking. And I don't know where you are in this moment in life. But my prayer, as we think about these truths, as we think about our invitation from the Lord, is that you would be reminded that Jesus is in the water. One of my things I love about these services is I am reminded of my baptism. I'm reminded of Lake Yosemite and my pastor, Henry Green, baptizing me and me being terrified and the water being frozen. but believing that in that baptism that was a real sign of something that has happened in my heart. Believing that to be true, and if you've been baptized, if you have professed your faith, we believe this to be true for you. If you have not, I exhort you and encourage you, strike the water. Profess your faith in Jesus. Let's be a people that believe that Jesus is in the water, that believe that we are invited into this story, that believe that he, Jesus is in the business of taking broken, sinful, hopeless people and telling a beautiful story that is for our good and his glory. So I'd like to pray, and as I pray, I'd encourage you to reflect on these truths. We're going to sing a song that's all about the water. And as we sing this song, I encourage you to do one of two things. If you've been baptized or profess your faith, remember that to be true. Confess that together. 
you have not, would you just profess your faith in Jesus and receive the baptism of his spirit and join in this family? You pray with me. Spirit of God, fall fresh on this place. All of our fountains are in you. You promise us. In the same way that you promised the woman at the well, you promise us living water that will never grow thirsty again. You are the bread of life broken for us, and we commune with you. And Lord, I pray on this Lord's Day as we get to think deeply about this invitation, I pray, God, that every heart here would be a heart that accepts your lordship in our life. That we would join in the long story of humanity, of people coming to know the great God of the Bible, Yahweh, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who invites us into relationship by your Son, who empowers us and strengthens us and baptizes us by your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people who accept you. Lord, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would draw in this moment anyone who feels far from you, anyone who feels that they've been living more like the cursors who reject you. I pray, God, that we would remember that you, until our very last breath, invite us to accept you and that you tell us you will reverse the curse. May you do that in this place. And God, as we sing these words together, as we think on this Lord's Day, I just ask, Lord, that you would have your way in this place, that you would stir in our hearts and that we would sing with power as we confess these truths, that you are in the water, Lord Jesus. We pray this together in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit. Amen.